This, this is the second, second Story Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. Today on the program is LaTanya Lane. LaTanya has an MA from the Chicago Theological Seminary and attended the Voices of Our Nation's Arts Writers Workshop. She enjoys participating in Chicago's vibrant live lit scene as much as her seven-year-old allows. Let's get right into her story, which explores family ritual and the struggle for inclusion. Second Story presents LaTanya Lane. Every family has a tradition, and my family is no different. On my dad's side, it's grudges. Who can hold the smallest for the longest? And on my mom's side, it's what we call vicking. I don't know the origins of the term, but it's synonymous with stealing. Points are given for items stolen, the level of preciousness the item had in the heart of the victim, and of course, the fashion in which it was stolen. Even more than getting your period, the true sign of womanhood with my mom's family lies in your ability to vic a precious something from a mother, an aunt, a sister, or a grandmother and refuse to return it. On one holiday visit, my mother stood in the family circle while praying for safe travels and then hugged my grandma's neck before walking out the door wearing the orthopedic shoes my grandma had been looking for all weekend. My mom has them to this day. And though my mom vic-proofs the house before any relative visits, she still finds pictures of me and my siblings in our early years magically posted to my aunt's Facebook page rather than safe in the albums she thought she left them in. My sister has become our mother in miniature, quietly gathering an entire new wardrobe by taking an item of clothing visit by visit by visit from my mom and aunt. But I've never felt like I've been able to do my family's version of womanhood right. Sure, the women steal, but they're also holy, church-attending, scripture-abiding women. My grandmother is a preacher. My mother is a pastor's wife. My sister is on her way to sainthood. <laughs> I, on the other hand, broke with family traditions years ago. I like my God large enough to include all genders, maybe even transcend them. A God interested in more than my personal conduct. I like my relationships healthy, even if it means they're not as long as I thought they'd, they don't last as long as I thought they would. And I enjoy wrapping myself in my professional pursuits. These are good decisions for me, but sometimes they make me feel like an outsider, not good enough to steal from the family without it being counted as a mark against me rather than a sign of belonging. From where I stood three years ago when I went to visit my grandma and aunt in Philadelphia for Thanksgiving, their lives look simple, neat, clean, while the different path I'd deliberately taken had left my life looking like a mess. Placing my life next to theirs, it seemed like they'd made the better choices, and I had a hard time figuring out whether or if I fit in their circle. My grandma lives in West Philly, the part of the city where the brownstones lean heavily against each other on the cracked, uneven sidewalk glittering with broken glass. Going up the wide concrete steps my grandma's brownstone shares with her neighbor, we first step into an enclosed porch that serves as an outdoor refrigerator in the winter before stepping into the living room. When I arrive in the living room, I have memories of a younger me watching countless episodes of Mutt and Jeff cartoons in front of the screen that now show my Grandpa Vernon's football game. 
Passing into the dining room, I see a wall of photos boasting my grandma's kids and grandkids. While some photos hang in individual frames, the one of my family sits in a large 31 photo frame. I see my mother pictured with my father on their wedding day, my brother in his navy blues after he finished up with boot camp, and my sister wearing a cap and gown after she graduated from college. The way my grandmas place them in the frame, they tell a nice story. My parents in their youth falling in love, starting a life together, and reaping the rewards of well-parented children. I look for my picture, and there she is, gazing at me. A seventh grade version of myself. My face too earnest, my smile too eager, my hair too large. And I'm wearing this strange blue dress with a white bib, some sort of pilgrim meets prom combo that should have been burned as soon as the seamstress finished the last stitch. I am flabbergasted, but also at my grandma's. And so my rage is strangled into a strange politeness. And I'm confused because besides finally outgrowing Barbies, nothing particularly excited, exciting happened to me in seventh grade. Why is this picture on the wall? Where's my happy life moment? Hey, Grandma, what's, what's going on here? <laughs> oh, those are the pictures of the grandchildren. Mm -hmm, yeah, I see that, yeah. Why is everyone else grown up, but you only have a picture of me in the seventh grade? I'm 30, yeah. <laughs> well, everyone else sent their pictures in when I asked. And there it is. This is not an accidental display. This is a lesson about sending grandma the things grandma asks for, or else there are consequences. This feels like a judgment. Rescanning the pictures, though, I suddenly notice all of my wedding pictures, and any picture with he and I are gone, and then it hits me. This is the first time I've been to my grandma's house since my divorce. Maybe her picture choice is a judgment, but what kind, I'm not sure. If that's the picture I get, I wonder what story she tells about me. Oh, that's no earnest pilgrim with two large bangs. <laughs> That's my granddaughter, my eldest daughter's youngest. This is a picture of when things were okay with her. <laughs> Not that anyone's ever said they feel like my life has taken a turn for the worse, but it is the sense I get, and it's hard to shake. I let the picture stay without too much contest, but it starts to get to me, mainly because I was a little judgy in seventh grade. Okay, actually violently judgy, like kick and pitch my, pinch my friends for cursing to save their souls from damnation kind of judgy. I was an uber-religious, evangelical Pentecostal hyped up on the blood of the lamb. I felt it was my duty to bring the light of Christ into the lives of the ones I loved, and I was hell-bent on doing my duty. You, you know what, Grandma? Why don't you let me send you a better picture? Or I can even take one here and get it to you before I leave, so you definitely have it. Oh, no, she says, and I swear she's smug about it. That one will stay. I may not know what my grandmother's thinking is, but I am certain my seventh grade self would pray for my divorce self-salvation. 
Throughout my stay, it's hard for me to meet her aggressively pleasant gaze without wanting to choke her. And because the room is centrally located, my seventh grade self is always there, staring at me in the mornings while I eat Johnny Cakes and Scrapple, smiling as if to say, you've gotten good at eating alone. I know. When my Aunt Kim does everyone's hair and makeup for a family photo, the picture gazes meaningfully at me, saying, what would Jesus wear? Certainly not that. I don't know how to manage the seventh grade dictator. So again, I asked my grandma about taking it down. You can put one up with me and Jay, the only great grandkid. What do you say? Oh no, she repeats. That'll stay. With a look that says something. She's an enigma wrapped in a mystery, stuffed in a house coat. <laughs> so, after days of uncertainty, I finally have a time to sit with my grandma on Thanksgiving, just me and her. By this time, the house has grown from my family and my grandparents to well over 50 people, second and third cousins, great aunts and uncles, current and former partners. We are upstairs in her room, the TV on mute with one of Grandpa Vernon's sports games on the screen, and the family downstairs at a consistent rumble. I'm helping her put on her stockings and she's sorting out her medicines when I realize how unusual it is for me to be alone with my grandma. Usually, my aunt and mom hover around my grandma, curating her stories through interruptions, truncated retellings, or exasperated admonishments, begging her not to get started. I don't want to waste this opportunity, my first chance to hear her life as she'd tell it, so I decide to ask her about how she and my grandpa Vernon met. What do you mean, she asks. You know, when did you meet? When did you fall in love? When did you decide he was the one? Oh, no, mm -mm, I wouldn't say the one. <laughs> he was out with some friends, I saw him. We just decided to get married, nothing special, she says. She seems bored by the question. You know, when you want an older person to just give you the answer to a problem, preferably with an example from their own lives. That's what I wanted to hear. Something special, how life and love were supposed to work. Something, anything, to give me direction. I don't know what that sounded like, but definitely not this. I push past the block of awkward she pushed into the conversation and try again. So, I don't, what were things like when you were younger, like, like my age? And then, a wicked smile creeps across the face of my saved, sanctified, and Holy Ghost-filled grandmother. Well, when I was your age, I only had Tony and your mom, and I still looked, well, you know. The men would call me Cola when I walked down the street. She titters, I blush. And I met your Aunt Kim's dad that year. I, I was supposed to meet your Uncle Tony's dad at the bowling alley, and he was with this other woman. I wasn't trying nothing, but Tony's dad was paying me too much attention for her taste. She couldn't let it go. 
rolling her eyes, smacking her teeth. So I said, you got a problem? And she came at me in the middle of a bowling alley. Oh, I say. Yeah, Tony's dad grabbed her, but he did it more for her than me because I would have smacked her right in the face. And she looks like she's back in that bowling alley, bowling alley sizing up her opponent. I laugh a small laugh. <laughs> I, I was just wondering like what your favorite music was. And my grandma is back in the room, quieting her sass and nodding. Oh, well, all that was before I met Jesus. But the smile from the memories stays on her lips. When we head back downstairs, I'm thinking about the picture she painted of herself. Confident, capable, and a little wild. Downstairs, people are warming up plates of food. It will be our last meal together before everyone goes their separate ways to Virginia, New York, and me and mine to Chicago. After loading my plate with oxtail, turkey, greens, and macaroni and cheese, I head back to the wall and look at the picture for one of the last times. And I'm exhausted for that seventh grade version of myself, trying so hard to be right and good and perfect. My grandma notices my gaze and follows it. I ask her, half-joking, you sure we can't take that down? Why would you want to? You were so sweet then, she says, smiling. Sweet? That's the story this picture tells for her? Hmm. Thinking about my grandma's story, I realized there was a point when my grandma's life looked a lot more like mine than it did hers. And then it clicks. I love the women in my family, and maybe doing their current version of womanhood wrong is exactly the way I fit in. I don't want to be sweet. I don't want to be a preacher or a pastor's wife or a saint. I want to be someone who is confident, capable, and a little wild. My path suddenly becomes clear. This sweet, judgy, too earnest chick has to go. I decide to vick the picture off the wall. The open floor plan makes this difficult. I shovel food into my face, trying to finish quickly so I have time to work. When I'm done, I go back to the kitchen and wash off my plate and then start to blend into the edges of the family. I quietly watch people eat and joke until someone says the magic words. Well, it's time to get going. Hey, let's get one last picture, someone else replies, and I see my chance. One last picture means one with just the grandkids, one with each generation, one with just the girls, one with just boys, one of every possible configuration known to image capturing societies. <laughs> While everyone faces the door, their backs to the dining room, I go to work on the wall. As my cousin encourages everyone to say cheese, I step quietly into the dining room and pull the heavy 31 photo frame from its place, making sure the pictures face the wall to avoid notice. I hear someone suggest a photo of everyone whose age ends in an even number, so I run over to smile for the camera and then run back to pry loose the metal backings that hold the cardboard in place. I hear a noise behind me and realize I have been spotted. 
It's my Uncle Cam. I freeze, not knowing how to explain myself, but he speaks first. You're taking care of that, he asks. <laughs> yeah, I say. Okay, I'll try and keep folks over here, he says, before heading back in the dining room and suggesting almost algorithmic photo combinations. I peel the picture from the matting, tearing it only slightly, and then quickly press the cardboard into place, secure the metal backings, and lift the frame back on the wall. My grandmother keeps the original stock photos in the frame behind the picture she puts in. I feel like no one will notice a stock photo since there are so many pictures and everyone's distracted with their goodbyes. But after I've walked away from the frame, hanging slightly askew on the wall, my brother comes over to me and says, white people in the snow, Tanya. Really? I look at the frame and realize the stock photo is of a very blonde, very white family on a skiing trip. I turn to my sister and son. We gotta go. We left in record time. 20 minutes after we've left, our phones start ringing. I can't believe it. That was amazing. And with everyone in the room, you are the queen of Viking. And I feel like I have been initiated and joined the ranks. Long live the queen. Latanya's story was told in December of 2014 at Uncommon Ground. It was curated by Nick Ward. She was directed by Lee Stark, produced by Pat Fries, and the sound design was by Breaks on the Highway. The second story is supported in part by the Chicago Community Trust, the MacArthur Funds for Arts and Culture at the Richard H. Treehouse Foundation, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, a city arts grant from the City of Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, the Arts and Business Council of Chicago, the Arts Work Fund for Organizational Development, and many generous individuals like you. If you'd like to make a contribution to Second Story, you can visit our website at secondstory, that's 2ndstory.com. Don't forget to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. I'm Nick Kawahara, and this, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast.